Hey Balancers, and welcome to the best bits of 2020. Firstly, wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. I know it's just a little bit late, but Merry Christmas. I hope you had a beautiful weekend with loved ones, stuffed your bellies full of all the good stuff, and are really taking the time to unwind and reconnect with what matters. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I didn't want to leave you guys hanging over the Christmas break. I'm sure there are plenty of walks, long drives and reflective moments to be had. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of value and pull together all the best bits of 2020 and 2021. So today's episode are the parts from 2020. And this will be really good for those of you who have just joined us either recently or perhaps in the last year or so and might give you a bit of a taste for some episodes you might want to add to your list over the next two weeks. Some you may have missed and some you feel you want to go back to. So what I've tried to do is group them in some sort of relevance. So they're not all random bites that are just going to be completely unrelated. I've tried to make them all relevant to the topic of ending the year on a high and creating a little bit of momentum or giving you some pointers for the next year, which as you all know, something I focused on in the Monday Muse of this month. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, there was a free ebook download to go hand in hand with it. I have popped a link in the show notes below because I think a lot of what will be shared today is also relevant to a lot of the exercises that we go through in that ebook as part and parcel of reflecting on the year gone by and really creating that momentum for 2022. And it might also just give you an idea of potentially some of the things you've learned or some of the things you want to work on from the year gone by. So really excited for you guys to listen to today. I'll just quickly give you a little outline of the episodes, but there is a full list in the show notes with links to all the episodes. So you don't need to jot them down or go scavenging for them yourselves. So the first one is One of my very first Monday Muses, Monday Muse 4, which is all about getting started and why failing is a key and essential friend. So really great for anyone thinking about embarking on new challenges, new routines, new relationships, anything that you're wanting to get started and you're feeling a little bit hesitant for, you'll love that one. Then we go into episode 14, which was an interview with Scott Halford. And we spoke about all things related to the brain and brain health. But the little segment on today is all about control and why as humans, we constantly strive and feel this need for control, what it means. So for control freaks, you're going to love this section and it'll give a little bit of insight, I guess, into that behavior as well. Then I've pulled out a little segment from episode 16 with Alessandra Edwards, who is a performance expert. And really this segment's all about how Our DNA can tell us so much more than just our genetic tendencies, but it can actually tell us a lot about our personality. So we go through a little exercise together on that, which I think you'll all find really useful. Um, And it goes really nicely hand in hand in terms of reflecting, I guess, on yourself. I've then got a little segment from episode 20 with John Linsky, who's a results coach. And his thing is really all about mastering your subconscious. So this little segment is all about overcoming fear. So it goes really nicely with the first segment on getting started as well and understanding your control, etc. As I said, they all have a nice little story to share all together. There's a little bite from that. I will admit the audio wasn't the best from this episode, which is a little bit of a shame, but it's such great information. So definitely enjoy that one. And lucky last is Monday Muse 5. And the title of this one is called All Your Bad Relationships Have One Thing in Common, and that's you, which you might find a little bit scary or confronting to hear. 
But again, this one all comes down to control and I guess reflecting on your place in a relationship. So I hope you guys love the little morsels in today's episode. Use it all as a part of reflecting on 2021 to really help you create that momentum for 2022. Now, I know I did say that I was going to take a little break in between episodes, but that was a lie. I'm going to be back next week with the best bits from 2021. And then the week directly after that's so on the 10th of January, we'll be straight back into our Monday Muse. Now, small announcement for me. The only reason I've done that is because exciting. I am launching a workshop and it's going to be all about goal setting, but I won't keep you guys any longer. We'll jump straight into the content. And next week in the intro, I'll tell you guys a little bit more about that course, but basically it's going to really help you set up your goals, make sure they're aligned for you and get into the mindset required to actually see those goals through. So stay tuned for more information about that. And as I said, there'll be no break. So there'll be an episode every single week throughout this period. Have an awesome New Year's Eve and I'll see you guys on the other side of this year. It's been a pleasure creating content for you all, connecting with you all, and I can't wait to do a whole nother year of balancing. Let's jump straight in. If you've been putting something off, my first tip would be if your excuse is that you don't know enough or you feel as though you're not ready, just get started. And just to share with you all, this was sort of my experience with the podcast too. So some of you may have heard me speaking in other other appearances on other podcasts or maybe in episode zero, I actually had put off starting the podcast for a while because I felt like I didn't know enough about podcasting. I hadn't researched intros, outros, you know, all these different things that were so foreign to me. But the more I pushed it off, the more I realized that I just needed to get started. And since June, when I started, you know, I've evolved things, I've changed, I've taken on feedback and that's where your success will come in. And this kind of leads me nicely into the whole concept of failures. Or failure. I think that another reason we don't get started is because we're scared or we have this fear that we're going to fail. But I truly think that, yes, you get better as things as you go, but each time you try and master a new skill or you try something new for the first time, that fear is going to creep up. It's like that positive adrenaline just kicking you saying like, yep, we're trying something new. We've never done this before, but we're going to give it a shot. And so it's almost like provided you continue to feel that fear, then, then you're living. You know, that's something I I wish all of you keep feeling because it means that you're constantly pushing yourself and you're constantly throwing yourself in the deep end. So I guess to bring this full circle, if you are experiencing that fear, get excited about it. It means you are pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. If you're forever sitting there feeling complacent and sort of plodding along, then you're not really trying out new things. And that's not to say you need to be scared every single day of your life. I just mean it more if you're putting something off because you are scared and you want to get started get excited about that, change your perspective and your relationship with that fear and start seeing it as a positive kick from your internal saying, okay, we're trying something new. Let's get it going. I think another really, really important thing here is that you need to accept that you will quote fail. Now I use this word lightly and to be honest, my relationship with failure is not a negative one. I actually see failures as lessons. It's never something that stops me in my tracks unless you don't learn from the mistake, shall we call it rather than failure, and you continue doing what you're doing and that mistake or that failure continues to go on. I mean, with it's almost like failures are essential because if they don't happen, then there's no experience or events in your life that will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you 
F that up. Well, you didn't do that as well. And so you might need to reassess what you're doing. If you don't have those episodes, there's no moments for you to pivot, reassess and readjust. So they're almost essential to your growth and success. And it's honestly just the way you view these things. So just have one think about something that's happened this year, other than, you know, like the whole year as, as it has been, but something specific. So whether it's in your work, in a relationship, um, in your health, like maybe some, some performance metric with your training or your diet or something, anything you can think of that you've tried and you would deem as a failure. Something you think you look back and you go, I really didn't do that well, or I failed, or you just were disappointed in the outcome of that event. Just, just have a minute and just have a think about how you felt about in that moment and why. why. Why did it hit home so hard for you? Was it because you had you know, set up those unrealistic expectations that you would know everything before you got started? Is it that you didn't properly assess your relationship with that mistake? Just have a think about the feelings and emotions that are tied to that quote failure. Now that you've got that ripe and raw in your mind, have a think about what that experience taught you. Whether it's whether it told you you did this wrong or you could do this better or there's another way of doing things or you learned something, I'm sure that whatever happened, you're very unlikely to approach that event or task in the same way again. Or you may have grown from it. It may have taught you something. Whatever it is, you need to reframe your perspective and see what you can actually take from that situation. You have to be selfish in a way when it comes to failures and really do see them as as necessary lessons to get you over the hurdles of mistakes and to help you navigate through the treacherous waters of experience so that you can come out of it better and do that thing better moving forward. And just back to what I touched on before, the fact that if you're constantly experiencing this fear, then, you know, that means you're living and you're constantly pushing yourself. Another quote from the resilience book that I really like is those who built true excellence in their lives always fight at the edges of their ability. What distinguishes the exceptional from the unexceptional is a willingness to fail and an exceptional ability to learn from every failure. So again, that fear You can reframe your relationship with it and remind yourself that that's you fighting at the edges of your ability. It's you currently pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And yes, it's damn daunting when you're there, but you know that as soon as you surmount that and you get over it and you accomplish that thing or you just get through it and give it a crack, you know, that's a new skill you've acquired. It's a new thing you've tried out. And that's really exciting if you ask me. A really good friend of mine who is a, uh, he's a psychiatrist, and he said one time, he goes, you know, when you figure out just how little you are actually in control of things and you accept that, you will be free. <laughs> and it's like we have such little control over anything. Control is a, is a really strong, strong urge in the human. In every human, it's a, the, the, the need for autonomy to feel like you chose, you picked, it's yours. And we know through several studies in, in motivation as, as well as any other kind of psychological uh, kind of the, the, the research on it says this is says that we have a tendency to behave in ways that we believe we've chosen ourselves, not in ways that have been chosen for us or what in ways we have been coerced to behave. So when our boss is telling us, um, I need you to do this. Uh, yeah. But if, 
the boss can say, do you see why this would be beneficial for you in your career? And attaches it to something that's valuable to me. Then it, then it makes sense. When you're four years old, if any of you out there listening have a four-year-old child, you are going to giggle because this is true of almost every four-year-old child. When you say to them, it's time to go to bed, let's put the toys away. You know, what do you get? You get this maniac running around going, no, 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 you're not the boss of me. And they don't want to go and they have tantrums and all those kind of nutty things. Uh, we grew up and we still have that four-year-old child inside of us. The inner four-year-old child. What's that? The inner kicking saying, no, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And, and the, 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 the thing that goes on with us as adults is instead of tantrums and running around like little four-year-old maniacs, we withhold information. We, we just say, well, if you're not going to ask me, then I'm not going to tell you when you're making a mistake. We make people pay because choices, uh, you know, the choice control piece, those are both huge cravings of the brain. They're very, very connected and related. If you give people choice, if you allow them to pick and choose something, then what happens is they have buy into it. So if you say to the child, um, it's almost time to go to bed. Do you want to go to bed in 10 minutes, five minutes, or now? You choose. You go, 10 minutes, boom, and you make it a happy little dance. And I have had so many parents who, after they had heard this and they tried it, they said, like, thank you, I got my child back. You know, the little angel that I used to have is now back because it was a demon. When you are out in the world, you want to make choice. You want to be able to choose whether you wear a mask. Um, and we all believe we should. You know, m most people believe we should. There are people who just out of the very notion they can't choose. not being able to choose, they won't wear it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we all think that's silly, and I do, but at the same time, it's choices. Choice control is huge. There's a second piece to control that, that is important for people to understand. So there's the control of, I want to pick and choose. There's the, 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 the feeling of being in control. There's the backseat driver who says, oh, take it that way. Oh, go this way. Oh, you almost hit, you know, oh, the light's. Right, it's like ah, passenger driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's that kind of control, and it gets irritating after a while. The other piece of control on the positive positive side of the chart is this: when you decide what you want to do, when you begin to find your calling, you go from a job, which is you could you could work at any you know fast food restaurant. You're just doing it for money, or a shoe store, or you know retailer, whatever it is. Not belittling and besmirching any one of those. But you would typically not make a career, and if you do, wonderful. But if you don't, it's so you could make money to go to university or you know for for fun spending. It's a job; you're not invested in it. Then you have a career, and the career is typically professional, and it's a string of professional jobs that make a career, and they all have something in common. The thing about a career, though, is that you're never satisfied with where you are. It's always about getting to the next one, yeah. and then you have your calling. And the calling is where you finally land and you say, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Iterations of it. I've been speaking and, and studying human nature, human behavior, and communication for, formerly in this business for 30 years. And then when I was in television, I was a documentary producer and I had to go out and deal and understand the psychology of people with the topics that I dealt with. The thing that is important to this is that I have a domain. And I feel in control of it. I don't feel in control of yours. I don't feel in control of my employees. 
I don't feel in control of my significant other or anyone else out there. It's, those are not my domains. When you have a domain that you pick and choose, hopefully early on, you pick and choose it and you dive deeply into it, eventually you rise above the crowd and eventually you will know more than the vast majority of people around you in that domain. That gives you wisdom and wisdom is valuable. And wisdom gives you that sense of like, I don't know everything, but I know this. Yeah. I can't do that, but I know I would raise my hand in a really risky situation and do that because I have that confidence and it comes from that feel, that, that sense of being in control of my little square foot of fiefdom. And that's, that's where control plays a really cooling part uh, and grounding part for individuals. Yeah, and I think um, there's an element of that where you're almost residing to the fact that you cannot have control over things externally to yourself and that in itself isn't is an exercise of control to actually like throw your hands up and say right i'm not actually going to try and reign a domain over all these things outside of me so if we're looking at the areas of your life um I, i suppose your health is something that you can definitely have control over when it comes to your relationships you can only control yourself within those relationships not necessarily the other people whether it be Um, your love life, your friendships, um, or anything like that. And then when it comes to work, like you said, you're, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of as much as you want to apply yourself. But when you're in your domain, I guess then you really do come into one with, with what you're doing. And that's where control kind of finds its nice fusion. And not everyone can do genetic testing, right? Uh, so I, I've developed, if you like, these different signatures. So I've, there's a, you know, one that let's talk about, you know, we'll talk about like the stress signature, okay? And so basically what you can do with the stress signature, you can just, just by me asking you a few questions, you can already start working out, you know, what this signature is, meaning how are your genetics sort of, influencing how you relate to stress yeah, yeah. and how you react to stress so for example um so one of the uh the stress signatures is the uh the ceo s- signature okay so as you know i work a lot with uh, senior executives and seasoned leaders and uh you know it's getting to the point where we're reaching about 90 percent of clients who work in sort of those environments who actually have the CEO signature. Okay, so it's almost like every time without even needing to do the blood test, the, the DNA test, I can work it out. So if you have the CEO signature for stress, what you will find, and this would be true not just recently, but of your entire life, you know, from an early age, yeah. that you would be someone who basically feels pretty confident in themselves. Yeah. So as a kid, you might have been the one who was kind of, you know, uh, it's a teacher. So right, dividing groups, like you'd be the one that kind of rallying people, right? We're going to do this, right? This is how the activity is going to go. So you're kind of really attracted to position of leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be in corporate, but just, you know, you feel comfortable, you taking know, being at the top. Yeah. So, yeah, taking the reins. You feel comfortable. And look, if truth be said as well, you feel like that's where you belong and not everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, that's my spot. That's where I belong. So what happens then with the signature is that you generally a baseline. So, you know, if you're given a project and stuff, you just, you just get on with it. Yeah. No, no sweat, no stress. You just get on and just get stuff done. You tick things off. You've got good levels of internal motivation. 
truth be said, you're probably quite a competitive person, you know, and if you're really honest with yourself, you'll put yourself in the type A category of personality. And especially if you're male, because then you've got more hormone testosterone, which interacts with these genes, you are probably super competitive and you don't really like to lose. And you may have through the years, perhaps, you know, created this facade and you've worked out that no one likes a sore loser. So maybe like you've hacked yourself a little bit to kind of grit your teeth and go, no, that's okay that I've lost. But deep down, you know, you'd like to be a winner. Um, the other thing is uh, you probably have a tendency also to have high libido. Yeah, this is true for men and women, but again, more for more for men. And, um, and generally speaking, where you're at right now, you have some kind of position of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you're probably not feeling too great about it. Okay, for whatever reason, you're not. So that's, that's the if you like the balanced genetic side of the CEO stress signature. Okay. And then every side has, if you like a shadow, it's a bit like yin and yang. Yeah. So depending on how balanced your life is in terms of and how matched to your genetics, your life is, then you can either be in the space that I've just described. So, you know, good mental energy, good motivation, you know, great, good leader, all of those kinds of things, which are awesome. But if you have led your life and lived your life and you're currently in a job that throws a lot of curveballs at you. There's really high levels of stress. Um, so it's go, go, go all the time, lots and lots of responsibility. Then what happens is that you can actually flip into the shadow side of these genetics, which is constant rumination. So you're the kind of person who just, you just can't switch off. Yeah. Say so if you go on holiday and you go for a week, it's probably going to take you at least three days to wind down and most likely you will still just be checking things and thinking things through things through. Um, when you're really stressed, sleep is the first thing that goes and you struggle to fall asleep. And then you wake up in the night having lots of thoughts. Uh, so you're always thinking solutions. So you're a solution driven person. And so what happens is that because your dopamine and your noradrenaline are building up and up and up because that's how these genes work then what happens is that you can also start really living in the emotional sphere of frustration and anger. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of frustration and anger, impatience, and um, there can be some anxiety, but it's, it's all up here. Okay. Cause these people have very active frontal lobes. Um, and so that, that can then have a negative impact. So I work with some clients who had this and they, you know, they really have to watch themselves because they start barking at people. So they start barking orders mm. and that, you know, that really undermines how people view you, you know, whether it's your friend or your teams, um, your colleagues. So that's the CEO. Then at the other end of the spectrum, we have the warrior. Okay. So they literally are the opposite, the polar opposites in terms of how their genetics work and how their chemicals work in the brain. So the warrior side is someone who, generally speaking, you know, you have been, you generally more on the chilled side. Yeah. So you consider yourself sort of more, um, you know, go with the flow. You can still have perfectionist tendencies, but overall, you know, you're just quite comfortable. But what you know, especially as you age, is that 
you actually crave variety and you always did even as a kid so changes in routine didn't phase you you loved when you know things were kind of thrown out and things would be changed at the last minute and you worked out in your adult life that you know if you don't engineer variety in your schedule or even in your work day things can start feeling same same very quickly mm. And so what happens is that the shadow side for the warrior signature is that, you know, your mood can start going down. So you're more prone to feeling low. Yeah. You can't be bothered to do things. You actually probably already know you're a procrastinator and you work really well with deadlines. But what happens with deadlines is even if someone gives you a very long into the future deadline, you know, you don't start working at it straight away. You leave it till the last possible minute and you fret in the meantime, they, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing it, but you don't do it. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to the crunch, you know, the last couple of days or even the last 12 hours, you're like, boom. So your focus gets turned on and you just get stuff done. And so for this signature, what's really interesting is that then they actually work really well under pressure. So making their diaries busy with lots of different kinds of activities allow them to function at their best. So while the CEO is kind of not sleeping and, uh, you know, feeling overwhelmed and angry and, you know, judgmental, the warrior side then really just engages it, engages. And so they feel alive, they feel on purpose and they will still be feeling stress, but they just feel like they're the best version of themselves. And then in between, we have, um, you know, basically, if you like, it's a combination of the two. And this is what I call the king or queen signature. So at genetic level, they're called that, you know, it's like they're in the sweet spot. Okay. So they have a little bit of both sides, but it means that generally they're balanced. So they've got good levels of self-motivation. They don't really tend to procrastination, but also they can take considerable amounts of stress yeah they're quite they're quite balanced now the downside for these types for the the king and queen type is that they can then go either way okay so they need a little bit of everything they need a little bit of pressure and feeling a bit stretched they need a little bit of variety but not as much as the warrior type and they also need a bit of downtime you know from the ceo type so um you know, and generally speaking, we have about, you know, 40% of the population that sit in the middle mm -hmm. with the king and queen. Based uh, off their DNA, right? Yeah. Based off their DNA in their, their signature. And, um, and then the other two are split in equal parts, so sort of equal percentage. So, um, yeah, so that's a, a good way that you can start working. I go, oh, yeah, I really see myself or, you know, often like, oh, I see my partner. My partner's a CEO for sure, you know, yeah. whenever stressed, always loses sleep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to look at it from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. So to, for, for someone listening who really wants to, I guess, dive into this head first, how would they even go about getting that assessed? Would it be through, um, do, do they still do it how they send you like a sample and you've got to go do like a blood test and all, is it still, is that how it gets done? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways to do it. There's lots of different um, labs and um, and then you will basically, you know, and then you basically get like a, a printed report that's sort of, they, they literally have stuff that's written. If you have this gene, then 
you know, this is the information. So they're generally saliva-based swabs mm -hmm. and um, then, you know, not blood tests. So they're really easy to do. You know, you can actually do children as well because it's, you know, you just use like a, like a Q-tip and, you know, you rub it by the side of, of the gum. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty easy to do. There's a lot of what it comes down to is not feeling good enough, uh, fear of not being good enough, fear of not being loved or fear of not being belonging is is three big ones that 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 goes up but you know if someone you know no, to give as much value as possible you know whatever the fear is that someone is experiencing how to truly overcome that is to work on your subconscious program work on the program why because it controls 96 percent of your life until you work on the program nothing will change but then people might be saying okay like I have the vision. How do I work on this program? Well, you were the fear, like you didn't come, say, let's, let's roll with a, an example. Someone who's lack of confidence. You didn't come out of the womb saying, wow, I'm, I don't have confidence. The reality is you didn't. You learned it somewhere. You learned it from a very young age. And then when you were in the creative, what we call Delta brainwaves, you know, theta brainwaves, when we're in that not to seven creative state, everything we're taking in like sponges, seven years of age onwards, program starts. We condition ourselves. Something happens. Something doesn't go right. I'm not good enough. Something else doesn't go right. I'm not good enough. It's conditioned. So if you want to overcome a fear, you have to work on the program and condition it to feel confident. So how do you do that? Every single day habits, every single day routines, attraction routines. This is what I do with my clients. Not just, you know, do my journal, but attraction routines that allow you to show up, raise your level of vibration, and then attract in everything you want in your life. But it has to come down to conditioning every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, nothing good comes without the hard work. And, you know, when you hear or read the, the, you know, the news headlines, millionaire of a night, that's really just years and years of hard work that have has turned that person into, I mean, I know there are some fluke and lucky examples and love that for those people, but you know, it is, it is an ongoing, you've got to put in the work. You really do have to put in the work if you want to get to where you want to be. 100%. And, you know, I always say, you know, to my clients, to anyone is like, you can do it from a place of pain and suffering or, and trust me, I, I went through that too, or you can do it from a place of ease and grace. And when you connect with your true passion, when you connect with your true desire and you find that massive why within you and you get clear in it, like this is what I say to my clients, they come from a place of, you know, pushing, the overworking, da, 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 da. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. When you can get clear on who you are, who you want to become, the habits or routines that are, are, are routine around your lifestyle, then you do it from a place of ease and grace. And you realize my legacy isn't this massive outcome that I'm chasing after. Instead, what I do with clients is cherish them, those emotions right now. And when you can cherish those emotions every single day, that's a beautiful state of being. And yeah. that's when it comes from a place of ease and grace. And you realize that I'm actually living through my ideal life every single day. My legacy is how I show up every single day, as opposed to the old program, which goes, you'll be fulfilled when you reach this outcome in 2085. No, live like it's 2085 every single day and embody those emotions. And you'll realize that that's, that's, a, that's a great place to live in. Essentially, what I want you to have a think about is the relationships that you would deem to be negative. And I want you to ask yourself, honestly, 
Is there an element of you trying to control the other person or control the dynamic of that relationship at all? So to any degree, do you feel as though you try to manipulate that relationship to any degree? The reason I'm asking this, and I'm not going to tell you anything new here. Obviously, we know we can't control other people, but and I'll be the first to throw my hand up. You know, it's something we subconsciously, I think, always try and exercise and do, especially if you're someone who's highly structured and organized and you like to be in control of, of things around you. Sometimes that does extend and rub off onto relationships and other people. So within those dynamics that you've deemed to be negative in your life or negative relationships, if you answer yes to, yep, there's probably an element that I try and control that relationship or that other person, then I think you fall into category one of the two that I originally spoke about. So if we said you're the common denominator between all your negative relationships and you try and control that situation, then you need to go back to that first category and that is you need to change your mindset. So it's less about controlling the other person and more about getting to know them, seeing what they can offer you, and you know, trying to actually grow and, and just coexist with them. It's not about exerting your control or your dominance over that other person. That's your responsibility to do on your own life. But when it comes to friendships, you know, work relationships, or even relationships between different members of your family, it's not your job to control or dictate other people's lives. Now, if you're a parent, Obviously, that has a, has a really, really different dynamic. And so I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm more speaking as an adult and having a choice to have that bond, that connection with other people. If your playing ground is control and then you're deeming that relationship as negative, I think that then that's something you need to factor in. If it is a relationship you do want to keep alive. Um, more to the point, if you find you have a lot of these relationships and you do feel as though you have, you know, an aspect of control issues when it comes to that, then I think you really do fall under this first category of you need to reshift your mindset when it comes to relationships in general. So what if you're on the other side? What if you don't really try and control relationships, um, but they're just, they're still not a vibe? Well, my question to you would be, if you're not trying to control that dynamic and it's not bringing you anything but negativity, why is it still featuring in your life? Now, I know this question is so much more complex than, you know, you just need to say goodbye to the friendship or whatever the case may be. But I do want to bring to light again for anyone who listened to episode 10 with Bri from P20. We spoke about the concept of situational friendships. Now, I'm not sure if anyone listening has personally experienced this. I certainly have. And that's where You've been so, so close with someone for such a long period of time. And then it's almost like your life takes a different path and you're just not compatible. You're not on the same page and you kind of take a split. And I honestly think there is nothing wrong with that. I don't think that that split needs to be sour. I don't think it needs to be coated with negativity or this whole dramatic scene. I think that people come into your life for a certain reason at different points in time and you would never be where you are right now if those people hadn't formed a part of your life, if you hadn't shared experiences with them. And so I don't regret any single friendship or any relationship for that matter that that I've had in the past. It's taught me things that have led me to where I am today and I'm not bitter or sour about them at all. But I'm at peace with the fact that 
things can be situational and not every relationship is meant to last the longevity of your life. I mean, I can even think of family friends we had growing up that we just suddenly stopped seeing. And it was like, didn't really think about it. But now that you have the choice and I guess the onus to maintain those connections and and build those relationships, it feels a little bit more jarring. Now, I don't know if this is because I'm still quite young and I haven't, you know, lived a world of experience with connecting with people, but it is something I've come to terms with more recently. I I mean, I'd love to hear if you guys are kind of on the same page and you feel comfortable with the idea of situational friendships. Um, And look, this obviously needs to be taken with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that every friendship you have now is not going to last the length of your life because that's absolutely not true. A lot of friendships are lifelong. Um, especially when there's a mutual respect and you grow together and all those sorts of things. And and I wish that for all of you, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. There are those certain types of people who you just grow apart from. And I just think that that's life and that's normal. So to sort of wrap that bit up, if you're not trying to control a situation and it's still quite negative, have a think about whether it is a situational friendship and you're sort of just stringing it along because maybe you've been friends for so long. Um, you know, like what purpose is it serving you? If you can, and if you can't answer that, then I think it's something you need to you need to have a think about. Now, unlike friends, you cannot choose your family, and so this obviously complicates things a little bit more. Look, this is a bit of a touchy subject, and it's obviously going to be um, highly dependent on your dynamic with your family, with your partner's family, all those sorts of things. But I think for me personally, and if I had to give any um, advice to any of my friends. What I would be saying is don't be a yes person. So don't feel like you need to say yes to everything to a point where it compromises your self-care and your, you know, what you need and want. I think that people get caught up in this idea that it's selfish to say no to things or to not attend things or always be at every single event on time, all these things. You know, I think that especially within a big, big family, a lot of people have a lot of different competing responsibilities and obligations. And I think there needs to be that mutual respect and it needs to come from the family as a whole that sometimes people aren't going to be able to make things and, you know, remove the the drama behind it all, I suppose. But look, family drama is inevitable as well. I would just say like, if you, if you do have someone in the family who you would see as like a really negative person in your life, Well, you have grown up with that person, obviously, or you've been around them enough to have a personal relationship that I think you're probably at a point where you know what their triggers are. You know what your limits are in terms of how much exposure you want to them. And I think you just need to set your boundaries and stick to them. So you know that after five minutes of a conversation, you're probably going to start cracking it or you're going to get bored or whatever it is. Or you know that every time you speak about work, that brings out negativity from them. So just be like real with yourself, understand what your limits are, know what the barriers are and navigate around that. Because family is one of those things, like I said, you can't choose them. We're so blessed to have family that share our DNA and that are always there for us no matter what. But I do understand that sometimes it can be a little bit tricky. So that's where you need to exercise maturity and you know navigate yourself through that storm. 